You're listening to Tell It from Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by our senior pastor, Dr. Abraham Joseph. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here's today's message. How many of you like jigsaw puzzles? I'm sorry, I'm not one of you all. But uh, (laughs) uh, that was a major form of entertainment during the pandemic, especially if you were in isolation. And my family, everyone other than me, uh, loves doing that over Christmas and uh, quarantine times and so on. Um, You know, uh, but when you look at these puzzles, 100 pieces, 300 pieces, and other challenges like 1,000 pieces and 2,000 pieces and so on, as you look at these pieces, each and every one of those pieces is valuable and um, it's necessary and, and it may even look pretty on its own, but it finds its meaning and serves its purpose only when it is put in its proper place in the puzzle. Right? And I also know that the way you get started with doing these puzzles is to get the edges done first. So then you know uh, how each of these pieces fits into the big puzzle. That's what we're doing with this series. We are putting the edges together, uh, the four sermons of this series, the story of scripture, the story of God, the story of the church and ourselves. It brings together the framework and the foundation that is necessary for us to understand the 66 books of the scriptures and uh, and the uh, the various stories and the poetry and the letters how they all come together and tell the story of God tell the story of scripture tell the story of the church and even our stories as we are going to see uh, this morning so we come to the fourth and final sermon in the series and next week we start with Ephesians I'm very excited uh, I love studying and preaching through the Word of God and uh, I look forward to sharing with you what I'm learning but I encourage you to start reading through Ephesians uh, this starting this week on and if you're able try to read the whole letter in one sitting it should take you half an hour or less sometimes even 15 minutes so you can do several readings so it's, it's there's something about reading the Word of God uh, in in one unit and then praying through it as you as, as we go along in the sermon so I would encourage you to start reading Ephesians uh, after this week as part of your devotions as part of preparing your own hearts and minds to receive the Word of God. Let's go to God in prayer before we look at our stories. Our Father and our God, we come to you this morning as your people, as your children, and that is who we are. But quite often that's not how we live. Uh, we live as though uh, someone else has written our story, someone other than you, that is. And there are so many interests that why to tell us how we ought to live, who we are. Help us this morning, Lord, to focus on who you are and who you tell us we are, and to live according to that story which you have written for us in your Son, through your Spirit. We pray that you would teach us this morning by your Spirit from your Word, for we ask in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is the fourth of our sermon series. If There we go. Um, we took the story of Scripture, the story of God's creation, God's redemption, and 
the renewal of all things which God has promised, which has already begun on us uh, who are united to Christ by faith. And one day it will be true for all of creation when Christ comes back. And we saw that the story of scripture is the story of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the creator, redeemer, and the renewer of all things. Then we looked at the story of the church, who we are collectively, all our God's people who are saved by the Lord Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and sent into the world by our Lord to proclaim Him as Lord. And it is through our proclamation in the power of the Spirit, He draws all people to Himself, so that they too may be part of God's people, so that they too may participate in that which they were created for, to be worshippers of God. So today we look at our stories as individuals. Again, individuals, but always individuals related to each other in Christ. So if someone were to ask you, who are you? What do you want in life? What are your values and beliefs? How do you envision your future? What does, or how do you know that you're flourishing in life? Uh, all of these questions are questions that ask us about our story. And, and each one of us will tell our stories in various ways, uh, depending on the context. We can tell our stories in terms of our family, uh, depending on our heritage, and if we see that family as one that's honorable. Sometimes we tell our stories in terms of the generation into which we were born. We have story, if you, you have your, your story is unique if you're a boomer. Uh, are we, do we have busters too? Uh, uh, or Gen X or Gen Z or millennial. As soon as you identify yourself with a particular generation, your story is told a certain way. So your membership in a particular generation is part of your story. These days people tell their uh, stories in terms of their sexual pre preferences or orientation. Even our temperament, temperament, whether we are an extrovert or an introvert, immediately pigeonholes us into a certain kind of a story, a certain kind of a person. Our religious affiliation is central to our identity, who we are. We identify ourselves in terms of our nationalities. I'm an American. I'm I'm um, an Indian or, or whatever nation we are from, and every one of us has one. We identify ourselves in terms of our linguistic backgrounds, even our entertainment preferences. I am the fan of such and such team, college team or pro football team. Um, all of us have stories by which we wish to be known and by which we would have others perceive us. Uh, this Doonesbury uh, cartoon demonstrates that, that we often perceive others' stories by narratives that are associated with, with their characteristics, often informed by uh, stereotypes or by implicit bias. This cartoon, I don't know if you can see it clearly, uh, it, it portrays a white man and a black man passing each other on a street, and each one is assessing the other on the basis of certain factors to see if they are of acceptable or unacceptable risk. For the white man, that the other man is a black man and that he's a male and that he's wearing his baseball cap backwards makes him a risky encounter. However, since the black man is wearing loafers and whistling Sondheim and carrying a FedEx envelope and wearing a polo shirt, all mitigating factors, he is of acceptable risk. So the white man has perceived the black man's story on the basis 
of certain factors and narratives that are attached to those factors. Similarly, the, white, the black man, uh, for him, the other man is a white male in the wrong neighborhood, and that makes him a risky encounter. However, since the man is white and carrying groceries and humming Motown, and over 40, all mitigating factors, he is of acceptable risk. So the black man, too, has perceived the white man's story on the basis of certain factors and the narratives that are attached to them. We do this all the time. We think we know the stories of others based on factors associated uh, with them. I know the superficial factors from that cartoon uh, probably made you smile, but there are several factors that do describe us who we are, that tell us who we are and, and tell our stories. We can tell our stories on, on the basis of our physical and psychological characteristics. We can tell our stories on the basis of our history, our family history, our national history, uh, our experiences. We can tell our stories based on our relationships with our parents, with our siblings, uh, with our significant other, uh, our family, uh, our friends, and so on. We can, we can tell our stories from, from the point of view, our ethics, our morals, our values, what we love, what we hate, who we like, who we don't, our interests, our passions, and so on. We can tell our stories in terms of our future. Where are we headed? We ask children that all the time. What do you want to do when you grow up? Our hopes, our ambitions. I go into this litany of factors to demonstrate that as much as we would like to think that we write our own stories, these stories, our stories, are part of stories that are written for us. We did not choose our families, our language, or uh, the country of our birth. These were chosen for us. In every one of these factors and more, others have had a formative influence in how we tell our stories and how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. You know, we are raised to think of ourselves as self-made men and women but the reality is that there are other forces that form us into their narrative and shape us and shape our stories, whether we are conscious of them or not. We live in a world of formative forces. Whether we like it or not, we are culturally formed people. The question is, what is the formative culture that is shaping your story and mine? James K.A. Smith is one of my favorite Christian academics. He has written both an academic and a popular version of a, a work on this topic. His primary argument is that we are formed by that which we desire. And even our desires are culturally shaped. That's why the popular version of the book is called You Are What You Love. He speaks of several of these forces, including nationalism, uh, the university, and many more. Uh, this morning, let us briefly consider one of those sources that he mentions, consumerism. Consumerism is a formative influence that tries to tell us how to be happy, how to be fulfilled, how to be flourishing, a force that is operative everywhere and is formative for all of us. It seeks to form us by showing us objects of desire and informing us that what should matter for us. It, it grabs hold of our hearts and demands our love and manipulates our will in determining what really matters, what is most important, what life is ultimately about. 
In other words, it tells us what it means to be human, what it means to be you. It, it tries to write our stories for us. Consumerism operates on the imagination more than it does on the intellect. Its message is slowly and surreptitiously received by our heart, absorbed into us, and it makes us into a certain kind of people without our even realizing it. In other words, again, it tries to write our story. It teaches us to answer the question, who am I? And the answer is, I am a consumer. Smith argues that it, it, this consumerism first identifies our need. I am broken, therefore I shop. Consumerism shows us images of success and happiness and beauty and pleasure, and we recognize that's not me. It, those images tell us, get with it or go get it. Our hearts that are deceitful and are easily deceived by that message and we head out to shop or we stay in and shop online, right? hoping for stuff that will sh fill that God-shaped void that is in all of us. But consumerism, uh, it, it's, it, it's a false narrative. It, it, it tries to create a false sense of community. Uh, kids like to hang out in mall and sh in the malls and shop together. I shop with others. That's the lie, and that's true of many of us. I'm an Apple fanboy. Belong to that club. I'm not, uh, but many are, and uh, we are part of that select group that drive a Tesla. You've seen those ads, or I'm a card-carrying member of the Starbucks family. You can add to that list. However, consumerism breeds competition. It does not foster community. We are constantly keeping score to make sure that we are staying in the right crowd. Uh, we are buying the right object. We, are, we possess those desirable things that we have been told are necessary to make life meaningful. Uh, you know, we, we, we will readily ditch our MacBook Pro community and switch to the Windows 11 laptop community Long shot, right? But it can happen with the right influencer telling you that that's the way to go. Also, the redemption that consumerism offers us for our brokenness through shopping, it, it's short-lived. I need to shop and shop and shop if I'm trying to avoid this brokenness. That iPhone 12 that saved you in 2020 couldn't save you in 2021. You needed iPhone 13 to be saved from your brokenness. Smith writes, when the shopping is done and the bags are put away, when the bags of spoil from our shopping adventures are brought into the house, we find that we have come back to the same old real world of dirty dishes and soil laundry. The buzz doesn't last, the objects lose their sheen, and guess what? We must shop again. Consumerism keeps us in the dark about its uh, dirty secrets. You know, as consumers, we're not supposed to ask where these products came from, whose labor was exploited to make those shiny objects of desire, how many people risked their health in dirty mines to unearth the necessary minerals. Consumerism tells us, don't ask, don't tell, just consume, just do it. And we do. When we asked, who are you? We respond, I'm a consumer. I shop, therefore I am. Well, how do we keep our stories from being usurped 
by these false narratives, these stories of consumerism? How do we keep ourselves from the narratives of other forces that are opposed to the kingdom of God? Scripture tells us what we need is a transformed imaginations. We love to sing songs like, I am who you say I am, or I am no longer a slave to sin, I am a child of God. These are songs tell us the stories of our identity, who we are. But do our lives tell the same story? How can we prevent the formative forces that seek to mold us into their narratives and indeed how our, and indeed how our stories formed by who God says we are, who scripture says we are. In order to be formed by the story of scripture and not by these other counter formative forces in the world, we need nothing less than a transformed imagination. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 to 21, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that's his prayer for them, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Paul prays for a transformed imagination. A renewed gospel-shaped identity is what we need to live according to God's story as to who we are, who God says we are. We need this renewed vision uh, to be transformed by, uh, and not be conformed to these other formative forces. And, uh, and, and the story of scripture transforms all of these other factors we looked at earlier, factors by which we tell our stories, our families, our history, uh, uh, the generations in we live, and so on. A, a renewed imagination is what is necessary for us to live as God's people in this world. What we need is a gospel-shaped identity. This morning we are going to limit ourselves to just three formative truths of Scripture that tells us who God says we are. First, we are in Christ. Second, we have a new history. And third, we are headed in a new direction. That's our story. We are in Christ with a new history and headed in a new direction. First, we are in Christ. A gospel-shaped identity requires the realization that wherever we are, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are first in Christ. To be a Christian is to be in Christ along with all those who belong to Christ. In Christ is Paul's favorite prepositional phrase in describing us, a phrase that is just pregnant with our theological identity, who God says we are. What does it mean that we are in Christ? First, Paul expresses our union with Christ in two ways. In Galatians 2, 19 and 20, many of you have had these verses memorized. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He expresses our union with Christ in two ways. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. 
The union is so comprehensive that Paul would say that it is no longer he, he that lives, but it is Christ who lives in him. And the life that he lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Paul's testimony is ours too. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. We have died to ourselves in the death of Christ and we have been raised up in his resurrection. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. But we are not in Christ by ourselves. We are in Christ along with all those others who are in him as well. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 to 28, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are united to Christ by faith. But we are not united to Christ by ourselves. We are united to Christ along with all those who have put their faith in Him. All those who have called upon His name in faith. All those social, ethnic, economic distinctions that separated us from one another, they have no significance in Christ. It doesn't mean we have no longer any of those distinctions. A woman does not become a man or a man does not become a woman uh, if we are in union with Christ. However, our differences no longer divide us when we are united in Christ. Our union in Christ, in spite of our differences, in spite of our diversity, testifies to God's victory in Christ over all those forces that exploit our differences in order to divide us. We are one in Christ along with everyone else who is in Christ, no matter how different they look from us. We are adopted in Christ. In four, Galatians 4, 4 to 7, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Because we are in Christ, we are also adopted in Him as sons of God. Our, our relationship with God in Christ is intimate. We are as closely related to God as the Son of God is because we are united to the Son of God. We are co-heirs with Him. We are indwelt by the Spirit. And we have the privilege to call on God the Father in the same terms as the eternal Son of God calls on Him, Abba, Father. Yes, the song is true. I'm no longer a slave. I am a child of God. But I am that only because I am in Christ. Then we are a new creation in Christ. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 and chapter 6 verse 15, Paul writes, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. To be in Christ is to be a new creation. We are so intimately identified in Christ with Christ so that it is the all-encompassing truth about us. It makes all our other identities take a back seat to our identity in Christ. We don't stop being a Jew or a Gentile, as the terms circumcised and uncircumcised indicate. Instead, our union with Christ has made us a new creation, 
that our identity becomes so intertwined with Christ first and foremost that when we are asked, who am I? My first answer is, I'm a Christian. I am in Christ. And finally, we have new life. That's what we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, that extended uh, section, I'm not going to read that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 6, verse 10. To be in Christ is to be brought into a new way of life. We will look more at that when we talk about the new direction which we have uh, as part of our story that God has written for us. We are free in Christ. However, we have the freedom concert that is coming up. However, our freedom in Christ is not to indulge the flesh, but to be yielded to the Spirit who forms us after Christ to whom we are united. We have a new moral identity. We are no longer conformed to this old stories by which we lived. God has written us into His story, a new story, a new story in which we are united to His Son and live as His people by the power of His Spirit. If you are in Christ, we have a new history. I will read this long chapter. We are going to look at this in detail uh, on the 13th of March, the second sermon in the Ephesians series. Paul's, Paul breaks out into a, a praise, a doxology, a blessing of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. A gospel-shaped identity requires the realization that we have a new history by virtue of our union with Christ. We tell our stories in terms of our stories of origin. Our gospel-shaped story places in a story of or origin that precedes the foundation of the earth. Our history goes back even before the foundation of the earth. So who am I? I'm the one who was chosen unconditionally by God, not by any merit of my own, but by His own good pleasure. Who am I? I'm a child of God by adoption by virtue of my union with His eternal Son, by His Spirit. Who am I? I am a sinner, redeemed by the precious blood of the Son of God, and therefore forgiven by the riches of God's grace. Who am I? I am one who is destined to be eternally united to Christ, to be made new in Him, even as I wait the renewal of all things, when they are gathered up in Christ at the time appointed by the Father. Who am I? I belong to God. 
I bear His seal of ownership by His Holy Spirit who indwells me. I am secure in my relationship with Him. Nothing can separate me from Him. Death is not my end. I will be raised up because I am indwelt by the Spirit of God and belong to Christ. That's my story and I am sticking to it because that is who God says I am. We are in Christ. We have a new history. But a gospel-shaped identity also requires me to head in a new direction. Not that band, the new direction. Uh, some of you may not know that. Uh, Paul writes to us in Colossians 3, 1 to 14, that was read for us earlier by Georgie. Thank you for reading that passage. Uh, because we are in Christ, this passage tells us we have a new history. We have a new direction in life. Uh, and one of the ways we said earlier, by, uh, how, how we tell our stories is by what we value. And how we conduct our lives according to those values. Colossians 3, especially the section that was read for us, has profound identity statements concerning who we are in Christ and if we are in Christ, how we ought to live. In verses 1 to 4, we are identified as those who died with Christ and have been raised up with Him. We are seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Our destiny is tied to His glorious appearance. When Christ appears, our story will be fully, fully told. The world will know who we are. See, we are in on the secret. So when you look at each other, you look at each other not by the masks and the coats and uh, we see, but in, in light of who we, God says we are and how we will appear when, when Christ appears. So we are those who are seated with Christ, in Christ, and, and when He shows up, it will be revealed who we are. If that is true, then it ought to be seen in how we live. That's what verses 3 through 11 uh, tell us. In verses 3 to 9, we need to put off certain ways of living. Those, that way of living was part of our old story. It's alien to us. And verses 10 to 11 of chapter 3 tell us that our lives are to be aligned to our new identity in Christ. A new identity that is expressed in a new lifestyle. We are headed in a new direction. We have a new corporate identity in Christ. We are no longer in Adam. We ought not to live the Adamic life of disobedience to God. Instead, we are in Christ, so we, ought to, we are called to live a life of obedience that characterized the Son of God, who obeyed God even to the extent of death on a cross. We belong to Him, He is our head, then our lives in Him are characterized by obedience to God. Finally, in verses 12 through 14 of chapter 3, we are told that uh, this new life in Christ has a moral, new moral direction. As children of God, united to the Son of God, we are like our Father. What does it mean to be holy like our Father is holy? It means we ought to be compassionate. It means we ought to be kind. It means we ought to be humble. It means we ought to be gentle. It means we ought to be patient. And above all, our stories are a story of love. The virtue that remains and binds all of these other virtues together. As those united to the Son of God who loved us, and gave himself for us our stories our stories of love well as much as 
the market tries to form us through certain habits that is repeated shopping so also our identity in Christ who we are in Christ our story as to who God says we are is formed by habits of worship we are formed in Christ through these gatherings and what we do here as much as these other forces seek to form us God also forms us in according to his narrative by repeated practices shopping shapes consumers worship shapes Christians it's in worship we live that story uh, we understand who we are who God says we are every element of worship is formative I, I look at only those elements that uh, are part of our worship practices other traditions have more we begin our service with a call to worship what is the call to worship tells us we are not volunteers we've been summoned we are creatures of God and in redemption in this new story that has been written to uh, written uh, for us in which we have been incorporated we are called to be to do that for which we were created we are here redeemed cleansed and brought into the glorious presence of the father by virtue of being united by his son to his son through the spirit we are people who are called out from the world we are privileged creatures of God that's what the call to worship tells us then we follow that with the invocation we call upon God uh, that invocation tells us that worship is not something we do on our own but that which is empowered by God himself he calls us he empowers us for worship the worshipers are those who worship true worshipers are those who worship God in spirit and in truth the Lord Jesus told us that is people who worship God in the power of the Holy Spirit and according to the one who is truth personified our Lord Jesus Christ so the invocation tells us that God is present in our midst he is not only the one who receives our worship but he's the one who actually empowers our worship so who are we we are worshipers of God who are able to enter into his presence by what he has done and what he continues to do in our lives our songs singing is a bodily act we use all many aspects of our body depending on what tradition which tradition that you belong to um, but even then hands in your pocket is still bodily action right but in our singing we not only praise God but we also express our love for God we express our devotion to the one who alone is worthy of our adoration we express our gratitude our joy our trust our hope and even our lament through songs in, in, in our singing we already join that mighty throng of people from every nation tribe and tongue which one day will sing songs to the praise of God and his lamb we are people who live to the praise of God's glory when I read Ephesians you saw that repeated three times to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory to the praise of his glory that's why God created us that's why God redeemed us and that's what we will do in the renewal of creation not just in the songs we sing but in all areas of life but that's already seen in the songs that we sing in worship prayer prayer takes various forms in worship uh, the pastoral prayer is an intercessory prayer a prayer for the people a prayer for others it's a glorious privilege that tells us 
that we are the kingdom of priests that God says we are. We are the people who bring the world to the God, uh, world before God, even as God has sent us into the world to proclaim Him to the world. We also pray for illumination by the Holy Spirit to understand, obey, live, and teach the Word of God. Corporate prayer is powerful because we have our Lord's promise where two or three gather together, He is present with us when we pray. Who are we? We are a kingdom of priests who intercede for the world and seek that His will, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Scripture, in, in our worship, Scripture tells us the story of God and how our story and the story of the world are woven into the story of God. Scripture is living and active and meets us where we are in life when we hear it. We need the constant telling and hearing of the story of Scripture so that our lives may be conformed to that story and not some other alien narrative that seeks to enslave us. Baptism. Whenever we uh, baptize someone, it is indeed that person's profession of their faith in Christ, but it's not only that person's public profession of, and confession of their faith in Christ and their obedience to His command, the whole congregation is reminded, us, reminded of who we are. Who are we? We are people united to Christ in His death, in His death to sin. We have died with Him to sin. We have been raised up in Him to live a new life unto God. Luther would tell us to daily return to our baptism to remember who we are. When, you are, uh, uh, when the devil assaults you and tells you you are not worthy, when our own sins confront us and we say, how can we go before God? Baptism reminds us that the only reason we are able to stand before God is not because of us, but because we are in Christ. We have been united to Him in His death. We have been united. We have been raised up in His resurrection. We are in Christ. Remind ourselves daily that we are baptized. Who am I? I have been baptized in Christ Jesus. Communion tells us that we are a part of a body that has been purchased by the body of Christ that was broken for us and by His blood that was shed for us to bring us into a new covenant relationship with God. Communion tells us that we together belong to the Lord. Communion is a visual proclamation of the gospel and an eager anticipation of the return of our Lord. Of our Lord, Who are we? We are the body of Christ. Who are we? We are people who are awaiting the return of the Lord when that communion will be perfect. In our offerings, we express not only our gratitude, but also our faith. With our, with our, with our offering, we confess that we belong to a different economy. An economy where all our needs are met by God who owns all things. An economy that is not a zero-sum game, and therefore uh, we are enriched and not impoverished by giving generously to the glory of God. The God who has given us all things and is able to meet all our needs. We are the generous people of our generous God. That's who we are. Finally, in our benediction, we conclude our worship with a benediction that not only invokes God's blessings for us, but reminds us that we are blessed and sent out into the world as agents of that blessing to proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, both by word and the new lives that He has called us to live. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's who we are. And our identity carries on beyond Sunday. We are as those who are formed by worship week after week as uh, we realize who we are. We are the people of God. 
we are the children of God. When we leave from here, we live lives that seek to glorify and honor God. Even mundane things like eating and drinking are opportunities to live to the glory of God as witnesses of Christ. What is your story? And what's my story? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your story and mine are the same. We are in Christ. We have a new history. We have a new direction in life. We are formed in that identity, in that story, as we gather for worship and as we disperse for service. This morning, if you are here in person or uh, watching online, and if you have not put your faith in Christ, your story can also be brought into Christ, the story of Christ Jesus, and the story of Scripture, and the story of God, if you would trust in Christ today. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and was raised by the Father on the third day, you have God's word that your sins are forgiven, and you too are adopted and brought into the family of God by the Spirit of God. You will no longer be a slave to sin, but you too can be a child of God. If you are a believer, you and I have a story to tell to the nations. The story of our God as told in the story of Scripture, a story in which we find ourselves collectively as the church, but also individually as those who are united to Christ with all those who belong to Christ. We are people who are in Christ. We are people who have a new history. We are people who are headed in a new direction. Go tell it, Calvary. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have rewritten our stories, that we are no longer those who have been in rebellion against God. And uh, it is not we who turn to you, but you who turn to us and who have brought us to yourself through the precious blood of your Son, whom you sent to die for our sins, whom you raised from the dead, whom you have exalted to your right hand, through whom you have poured out your Spirit, that we may be united to him by your Spirit, and we await to the day when he will return and make all things new. And meanwhile, we are called to live out that stories so that we may be witnesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, so that those who hear, see our witness may also respond in faith and be united to him by your spirit, may also be brought into your story so that they too have this glorious story to which we belong. Thank you. We ask and we give thanks and we pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.